All right, so this is the pastor, Joey Svensson. And this is the pastor's older brother. And this is the new guest and Hillary supporter, Robbie. And this is Jack Hoy, the Hillary skeptic. All right, and this is the pastor with no answers. And Jared, I am actually looking forward to the, if you think about it, we've had Jack on many times, but we've, we had him on for episode 40 in which we talked about Trump. Now, Jack played the role, well, Jack was the person who was a Trump skeptic as well, but I wonder if we'll be able to decipher which episode he's more passionate about. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> Like, like if we can get Jack heated tonight, then I, you know, I think it says something because he was pretty even keel uh, last time around. So yeah, for sure. Uh, Robbie, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. What kind of what kind of company you work at? And you're 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 a friend of Dan Coke, right? I am. That's how you found me. I've known yep. Dan Coke since I was four years old. Nice, nice. Was it a good relationship all these years? It was great. It was great. <laughs> it wasn't as great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and you are a, a politics fanatic, right? You, you told me you, you're constantly reading, constantly researching. Yeah. and Yeah, I got into politics when I was like uh, reading about politics when I was like 16, so about almost 20 years ago. And I would estimate that I read legitimately a million words a year of politics coverage. Yeah. Um, I make an effort to read from across the spectrum. I know a lot of folks fall in the trap of reading just like only conservative media, but I read mainstream media i read hyper conservative blogs that i agree with not at all i read you know something that leans left leans a little right things that kind of follow my personal uh, point of view sometimes i'm kind of like progressive but also have kind of this like sometimes compassionate conservative bend yeah i'm um, so like moderate ish but it, it depends on the subject area so i kind of read everything and consume this stuff like ravenously yeah Gotcha. So are you the kind of person that could vote Republican, that could vote Democrat, depending on the person? Yeah. So I, I have voted um, Democrat in the, in the last couple elections, but I have voted in the Republican primary two of the past three elections. So okay. I, 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 I give a great deal of thought to what I vote for, and I, I can you could easily put me in either camp, depending on the, the issue. Um, so I, I try to consume it all and, and think about all the candidates, not just my party's candidate. Gotcha. gotcha. So are you like a hardcore chauvinist? <laughs> no, no, I am not. <laughs> so we we want to welcome you to Pastor with No Answers as a first time guest, and you know, just to I guess a a reminder to you know our whole audience. Our our goal here is really to have a conversation. You know, even though most of our guests can't help but to get a little debate oriented, and that's fine. Um, it's, it's mainly to have a discussion like we're hanging out and, uh, having a beer together and, and just talking. So laid back and, you know, we always have a, a, a good bit of fun. So thanks for being here. So I, I want to dive right in. I, I, I mean, so Robbie, I'm, I'm surprised that there's any Trump or Hillary supporters on the face of the earth. So I am actually extremely intrigued and I, I don't, I don't mean that in any sort of insult. I already respect you from just a little bit of time I've had you on the phone and, and had you on here. But I'm just, man, both of our candidates, I, I just can't believe who they are. And I, if I, if we had a third party that could just get some momentum, man, that would be so awesome. So 
let's uh let's just start uh, let's let you kind of have the floor since you're the hillary supporter well jared you're big time hillary right <laughs> uh no <laughs> so so robbie let's let you have the floor and you know give us a snapshot of of why you're on board with a hillary presidential run here yeah. Well, and someday maybe we'll have a follow-up pod on how we got to Trump plus Hillary, which is a fascinating combination of pretty deep dive stuff on media and party politics. But that's not for today. Today wow. is about yeah, the candidates. Um, sure. So, so I'll run for a little bit here. And I wanted to kind of preface by saying I think that it's important to define the job of the president, right? Like we're saying, why support her for president? Well, what does a president do? And so I was thinking about this, and there's sort of three things I think that the job falls under in descending order. First, this is the commander-in-chief. In yeah. times of crisis, they have to make decisions in a calm, informed manner with the council of experts to come to the right conclusion. Two, a really important job of the president that we also often forget about is the figurehead of the state. When there's pain after you know, Sandy Hook or 9-11, the president's almost a shoulder to cry on for the country. Yeah. At the same time, in times of need, like... You know, so we have to go into Afghanistan and, and hit back at the guys who did 9-11. Can someone be strong? So compassionate, um, but also strength. And the last thing is like the typical thing we debate, which is like policy, which is kind of my wheelhouse really, is like they're sitting or at least working on, you know, foreign policy, tax policy, whatever. But oddly enough, the most compelling case I think for Hillary is those first two things that normally are kind of a given. Like normally we believe our candidates are calm, rational actors in times of crisis, be it, you know, Romney or Obama or McCain or Bush or Kerry, whatever. But in this case, uh, I firmly believe that Hillary Clinton would be phenomenal in times of crisis. She can make calm, informed decisions. decisions. She's, she seeks, she's done it before. I feel she's the only candidate who can do that. Um, and this of these two. On the second point of being a figurehead in times of uh, need, when I mean, the country's in pain or needs a leader who can be strong, yeah. um, I think that she's demonstrated that she can be a compassionate, listening person who can um, empathize with the needs of her uh, citizens, even if she does not agree with them. And also, she's, she, she can be tough. Like she you know, was Secretary of State during the Iraq and Afghanistan affairs. Um, she was in the sit room during the killing of bin Laden. So she can be a, a tough cookie, but also a shoulder to cry on. And, and I think, her husband's again, affairs. I mean, she can. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, which, you know, which is like, you know, I think sometimes to, to sidetrack a bit, like, I don't want to hold her husband's, you know, affairs against her. That's not right. her fault, right? right. Um, there's a whole debate on like, should she have left him or not? I don't want to have that debate. Um, but I think that she could be she could be that that figurehead leader who can be. I mean, she's very strong. I mean, she's taken some punches on the chin for the last twenty years, and she's still standing. Um, but those who know her say her strongest characteristic is her willingness to listen, to be that mother. I mean, her book is called "It Takes a Village" about parenting. Yeah. And then last, I like her on policy, and that's again my normal wheelhouse. Like, I think her tax policy is better. I think her foreign policy is much better because I'm somewhat, frankly, terrified of Trump's. But oddly enough, like. The fundamental fitness for office is, in this case, and it's a rare case, uh, the primary argument. Like, I think we only have one candidate personally who could be commander in chief and who could be an effective, functional leader for all Americans once in office. Yeah. So I didn't ask you to prepare for for these questions. So if if you want to pass on any of them, feel free. Do you have in your mind a greatest president ever? 
Uh, yeah, I think uh, Abraham Lincoln's the best president of all time. I think it's kind of an open and shut case that I can be kind of like given a hot take. Yeah. Uh, my other sort of short list would include Washington, FDR, and Teddy Roosevelt. All right, so let's put Abe Lincoln at 10, and uh, let's put Donald Trump uh, as 2016 winner at, two, uh, at 1. Where would you put Obama? Abraham Lincoln's a 10, Trump's a 1. <coughs> what about Obama? Um, I don't know. I personally think that Obama, so I agree with Obama on policy on a lot of things. I know that not all your listeners will, um, and we can get into, you know, the ins and outs of healthcare policy, whatever. There's no denying that this has been a somewhat divided period of time, yeah. which is somewhat his fault, but also somewhat just general polarization, media structure, whatever. I'll give him a solid six and a half, seven. I mean, he's going to leave office with a high fifties approval rating during a very polarized time. And I think that we you know, look back in 20 years, he'll be viewed pretty favorably. I mean, he'll be, I think, he'll be the liberal Reagan, put it that way. Like, he will be looked upon very fondly by liberals in the future. Obviously, not everyone will love him, but I think he's been a very effective president at achieving his goals. Um, not all good. We'll see what history looks back on him as. Yeah. All right. Well, let me ask the same question about Reagan. And this is really just to give our listeners context of just kind of you know, your explanations are great. It gives it just gives them more insight into you and where you're coming from. Right. So I gave what, Obama a six and a half, maybe up to a seven and a half with history. Right. Yeah. I would give Reagan that seven and a half now, maybe eight and a half. I mean, I think that Reagan, like frankly, I think if you transported Hillary and Trump back into the eighties, like Hillary has more in common with Reagan than Trump does on policy, on tone, on a lot of things. So you know, you can, I think you can actually like Reagan and like Obama both. You don't have to dislike one of them. Um, obviously, he lived in a different time. Yeah. And the challenge of his time was the Soviet Union. And he was successful in negotiating or navigating the Cold War. Um, and he did so while being a compassionate conservative. There are things you look back upon now that he, he would not have looked good in the modern context. You know, the way they approached domestic trouble, like the, the, the early era of the war on drugs, the way they responded to AIDS, things like that. But yeah. On balance, in the '80s, he did a darn good job, I think. Awesome, Jack. You want to you want to rate those two or a pass on that? Well, no, sure. Well, I think actually, I think your assessment of Reagan is very fair. Um, you know, see, I would rate Obama as close to one as you could get because <laughs> because he's wrong on everything. You know, the thing about Reagan is Reagan had a worldview. He was ac- he understood the way that the economy worked, and he took he took office at a time when the economy was actually at least as bad as the Obama economy and did and, and did an incredible job. And because I lived during that time, what I remember is all the pundits who were talking before the election about the, has the presidency just really gotten too big for a, one person to do it? Is it really impossible now? And he changed that whole perception. You know, Obama has been a disaster in economic policy. He's been a disaster in foreign policy. You know, good man, honorable man, smart man, but he's wrong on everything. I mean, his worldview is wrong. He doesn't seem to understand that people will respond to what you do, that they're not, you know, that you can't just say, I want you to do this and therefore you'll do it. So like denial of economic reality, it's like, you know, the old story about King Canute commanding the tide not to come in, right? And all of his couriers saying, oh, sure, King, you can, the tide will do whatever you want. And it doesn't, you know? So, you know, he's been trying to order the tide not to come in on economics and, um, it's been coming in all the same. So, you know, we have a situation where we have profound depression about the future of our country, 
because you got a lot of people who have grown up with, you know, nothing else than this guy's incompetence and then, you know, the failure of the Bush administration before that. So, um, I, again, I, I, you know, I have a very low opinion of Obama, and I realize that's something people disagree on, but I, I just find it hard to imagine that you can point to anything he's done well. He's, he's implemented his agenda, and, he's, and, and the other thing I think about him is he's done immense damage to our institutions. Jared, how do you feel about those two candidates? <laughs> two candidates? Yeah. President. Oh, hey, you didn't hear they're running. I mean, Reagan came back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they would both win like 500 electoral votes if they did. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I honestly have not been following politics for a long time. So, as far as um, you know, Obama's administration, I don't know that much about it. Uh, With Reagan, I guess I would say, from what I've read in history books, um, I guess he helped his policies helped us win the Cold War. Um, he seemed like he, uh, helped us, you know, keep the peace, at least in the, in the, the sense of nuclear annihilation. He survived um, an assassination attempt. I mean, how badass is that? Well, you know? well, yeah, but I mean, also it seems like we had the, the stagflation of Carter and he right. got us out of that you know, double digit, uh, unemployment, double digit inflation. He got us out of that with his policies. The one thing I guess I don't like, um, is the fact that we he started, started movies, mass, massive amounts of deficits. <laughs> yeah. So, or a high deficits during his yeah. administration. So I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess I would personally say, based on my very limited knowledge, that Reagan was a better president. But. Yeah. All right. So thank well, you guys. Those things, well, go ahead. Go well, ahead. One thing to note that so you know, so I'm an econ major uh, in college, and I was actually working at a big investment shop when the economy collapsed, and like a lot of the, a lot of the fixing stagflation or like the growth rates after a person comes in office are really not good or bad their fault or their success, right? And so, and I, I would, a lot of it's time. you don't have to relitigate the economic era of Obama. I would disagree on his policy and stuff, but like, you know, Reagan didn't fix stagflation by himself either. Like sometimes just time is the cure. Yeah, okay. but uh, not true because he radically changed tax policy and he supported what Volcker had to do at the Fed in order to strangle inflation. And that was not a pol- politically popular thing. You know, I, I bought my first house during that era, and I, I had a 15 and three quarters percent interest rate. Damn. You know, that was, that was where, the way things were then. I mean, so to say that he, that, like, that was just timing, no, it wasn't, that, that's not the case there. No, I'm not saying just timing. I'm saying, like, you know, there's always context, right? There there's is. Always no question. Context. No question. All right. Nice. I, I, I enjoyed that. Good context where everybody's kind of at with, with two two big-time presidents in our history. Well, well, Obama, not quite history. but So let's move on to Hillary Clinton. Jack, you've heard what, what Robbie said. And uh, so, yeah, I'll kind of give you a stab at you know making your own opinions known and also addressing some of what Robbie said. Yeah. Well, and I'll, and so, ahead, so can I jump in? I want, I want to hear your take, but, you know, I, I sort of said, like, Here's my job description. Do you agree with even that, like what the job of the president is? Here's what I would say. Because I, th- I, I like your framework. I think there's one key thing missing that encompasses all three. And sure. that is the, is the president has to be a great communicator. So for, so, for example, I would say George Bush was a decent commander in chief, uh, didn't do well with the figurehead part, was you know, kind of up and down in policy. I don't think he really, you know, I, don't, I think it'd be hard pressed to say that he had a great grasp of policy. But the thing he failed miserably at was communication. Are you sure that you just didn't Bush, just Bush. underestimate him? Uh, w. And I would say his okay. dad wasn't a great communicator either. 
you know, Reagan was a great communicator. Clinton, in his own way, was a great communicator. You know, he had, a, he had the ability to connect with people on the things that he was trying to advocate. I, I don't think she's a great communicator. And, um, you know, it's like, again, you look at the struggle she's having during the campaign. I mean, she's, she's, she's pretty wooden out there. She's not the, you know, your point about her empathetic. I mean, you know, your figurehead thing, the way I would frame it is, it was an, I like the way that you put that. Like the, the, the president has to be able to project toughness when toughness is needed. They've got to be able to project empathy when empathy is needed, when there's a tragedy going on. The way I would frame the way you integrate those two is they need to be they need to be able to express themselves authentically. And if there's a less authentic mm-hmm. person on the planet than Hillary Clinton, I don't know who it is. Now, again, that's my perception. I think it's the perception of the overwhelming num- you know, majority of the American people. And maybe you see that differently. But I I think that every word that comes out of her mouth is a lie. I She's wrote- a liar. She li- she lies. That's her always her immediate. Right. Even like getting sick last weekend. She's got a lie about that. I mean. She lies about everything. Commander-in-Chief, What did know. she say about her sickness? I'm curious. I don't keep up with anything. What did she say? She was overheated. Uh. That was their deal. She was overheated. And then, and then, you know, and then what happened was the Ooh. footage came out that showed they had to basically carry her into the van or whatever it was. And, and then they finally acknowledged after X period of time that she had been diagnosed with pneumonia. Now, again, her reflex is always to lie. And, and she lies about everything. That, that, you know, she lies to her own advantage all the time. Now, why why does somebody so uh, let let's just assume for a second that you're you're right about this? Why does someone that is scrutinized as much as her? Why wouldn't she know better? Just don't don't lie. Well, like the, everybody's going to know. The Cl- the Clintons have been very successful liars, right? I mean, and and they're very good at it. Um, both of them are remarkably good at it. <laughs> they're remarkably good liars. They are. <laughs> they are. Uh, so right. I mean, obviously, Robbie, I want you to respond to that. I mean, how would you, what do you say to that? So I'm glad to jump into the question of trustworthiness of her and both candidates, if you want. I also don't want to rob Jack of his early sort of preamble either. (laughs) Well, the thing is, my kind of thing is, I think Trump's a disgusting person, too. I know, you know, I'm not trying to say that, I wouldn't even argue that she's worse, necessarily. I I don't know that. I mean, I, I, I think that would be an interesting contest. But, yeah, well, and there's a whole debate of like, I heard you're a Trump one, and I said, I know you're planning on writing someone in. Like, I'm firmly of the belief that you should pick one of the candidates if one is even incrementally better. That's a whole different debate. Yeah, I understand. Um, and I, and I, and, and you may be right on that. I mean, that's one, as I think I said in that last debate, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not proud of my decision, like, to not vote for either of the two candidates, but. Right. So, so I can take the trustworthy question. Um, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have some nuance here, and it's yeah, not spin, please. okay? So, yeah, that's good. so I think it's important to distinguish between trustworthiness, what that means, right? So, does it mean being forthright and forthcoming? Does it mean doing what you promise you're gonna say? Um, and does it mean like, can I entrust you with a thing of value? I think it's totally fair to say that she has certainly had not been forthcoming. So, like the pneumonia thing, she you had to sort of pull it out of her. And I don't like that about the Clintons. I think that there's, uh, you asked earlier, Mr. Pastor, about the question of, like, if you know you're under scrutiny, like, why not share these things? Well, for the last 25 years, like, look what happens when they share bad news. They just get obliterated for it by the conservative media machine. And, like, whether it's fair or not, like, I can see why they built up this primary resistance to sharing information. And I don't like it. 
but that's how it is. Yeah, but I guess, there's a key distinction, I think. Oh, sorry, just a yeah. thought, like between trustworthiness of like being forthcoming and like, am I going to violate your trust and like not do what I promised that I'll do? That I think is a very different question. Yeah, I guess what I meant by that, and this this is this is definitely some some naive Joey talking because I I'm not as into politics, but it just seems like it makes it worse for her because. If it's as clear as it as as Jack's making it out to be, then it, it just makes her look horrible because people know she's lying. Well, you it know, makes so it worse if ahead. it comes out, right? Like, I mean, so they so she's got pneumonia. She's traveling all over the country, staying in hotels for six months. Her doctor says, "Take these antibiotics. You're better in four days." Right? So they have a decision: Do I share this? I make a big brouhaha. So then this conspiracy theory that she's got like Parkinson's or she's dying. Do I feed into that conspiracy wing, or just go back to work and just keep to myself? Right? Yeah. And they. If she hadn't had the overheating episode on a muggy day in New York, we wouldn't know about this. So that's why. Like, I'm sure there are things they have not disclosed before that they successfully didn't have come out because they weren't that big of a deal. The problem is they, they over-biased towards that. And I'm glad to give that as one of, the, one of the critiques that I have of them is they are more willing to keep things private than they should be. Uh, that's not unique among these candidates, for sure. Uh, she's actually, in some remarkable way, more transparent than Trump, uh, despite that being one of her flaws. Um, but it's certainly a fair criticism, I think. Can, can I ask a follow-up question on that, Rob? Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I, I understand the argument about the, um, you know, how much do you share about private stuff? How, you know, but, but, you know, tell me your take on the emails. Now, you know, it seems to me that it's been demonstrated pretty conclusively that that she lied at every different stage about this whole email deal. Now, you know, I've realized different people have different different views on how important, you know, kind of like the transgression itself was. Right. But, you know, that seems to me to be a little different because now you're talking about something that really was a function of how she was doing her work as the Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think for the same reasons before, I think she would, obviously any politician would want to keep something like that to be as small of an issue as possible, right? So the hesitancy makes sense. Um, how do I view the email scandal? I didn't read the blow by blow. I've, I'm certainly informed enough on it. Um, I do think it's been blown out of portion to your point of like how big it is. And that's why I didn't spend half my life reading about it. Um, but yeah, like, look, she could have been more forthcoming, I think. In general, like the email thing wasn't great. It wasn't a good look. Uh, if she'd come out and said everything on day one, would their response have been any different? I, I don't really know. Um, and I, again, like I don't view that as disqualifying. And that sounds like a cop out. But like to me, that's the same kind of behavior as anybody in that position would be in. And I, I know that folks don't want like another same old, same old candidate. But like she is someone who's a public servant for the last 30 years and I feel like you know being sort of like you're going to have to draw it out of me um, and I'm going to frame things in the most favorable light possible and, and even then like on the emails like it's a question of like whether or not she really did know if they were confidential because they only marked this little letter C like half okay, of them so the page like so you know two, two things as somebody who's had a security clearance she knows better than that because the issue is the problem is that when you're secretary of state there are things that you know that are classified. And when they come out of your mouth or when they come out when you type them, they become classified immediately. It doesn't matter if they're marked. And anybody who has a security clearance knows that. So, yeah, but even then, like, the question, the emails in question came to her, not from her, right? And the thing that I look at is... <laughs> the ones that we've seen, the, anyway. 
Okay. Or you're fully, they've all been released now. And even the Coney report last week said, like, those are the only three. The only three emails in question were the ones that had the little C mark happened on the page that came in her inbox. And as someone that gets 500 emails a day, I have some empathy. Like, I, I mean, they can't text, right? So, like, does she even read all 1,000 emails? I'm not trying to make, a, like, make excuses. Like, it's, it's worth discussing. But, you know, okay, I do well, feel I, it's I, in I up think a little it's, bit. Well, yeah, I would just say two things. I mean, first of all, I, I think it's... From what I've read, it's a little more egregious than that. But, you know, that's a that's not even the most important point. The important point to me is she was selling access. And every public servant in U.S. history who's done that at that level before has gone to prison for it. She was selling access. I don't see how there's any way you could clu- conclude anything else. So we're talking foundation now. We're not exactly. talking about... Well, the, the emails, in my mind, the email, whole, the whole deal was to, so that she could hide all the foundation stuff. That was the primary, not the only thing she wanted to hide, probably, but that was the primary thing. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's fair to conflate those two things. But like the, the Clinton Foundation has released every donor it's ever had because of its nonprofit status. And I, I, don't, I don't buy the argument that she was selling access. I think that she was selling celebrity, that Bill was selling celebrity. I mean, there's a reason that you know, Muhammad Ali gets paid a half million dollars back before he became, you know, enabled to do so for a speaker speaking engagement, just like Bill Clinton does. People want to be around famous people. And it's not a surprise to me that rich, important oligarchs in the Middle East would want to hang out with Bill Clinton. And simultaneously, the countries they run are our allies and they buy weapons from us the same way every ally has for a century. Okay. But, but again, you, you know, you've got all these email exchanges that talk about how so-and-so just contributed so much to the foundation and wants the private meeting with the secretary and, and that most of the meetings that she had that were with, you know, um, I, I'm trying to think of the, 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 the boundary around the scheduling. Most of the meetings that she, that she had in that category were with foundation donors. Most. So, and, and you know, the, the people argue, well, there was no quid pro quo. Well, access is the quid pro quo. So, so two things. One is there's no evidence of, like, the access is, has value. I won't deny that. But the access has value because presumably something happens beyond that. And there's no evidence of that second step happening. And secondly, the reporting on this, the meetings that, that the AP did was very, was very flawed and they had to correct it. Yes, many meetings were with donors. But 85% of people were state officials for their countries. So in her official capacity, like, the fact that someone donates to her charity while happening to be, like, the head of some state, like, of course she meets with them. That's her job. And so, like, I, I, so I give money to my coworkers' charity runs all the time. Does that mean that we're having some kind of, like, because our, our charity and our business mix, it's, like, some kind of improper behavior? I, mean, I just feel like, I'll put it this way. They're under such scrutiny, and there is an entire media apparatus built to destroy the Clintons, for better or for worse. If there were a smoking gun, we'd see it. And yet all we see are circumstantial alignment of All we see is circumstantial evidence, and there is so much of it. So, I mean, I I hear you. I I think I understand your interpretation. It's a a more innocent interpretation than I would make, but I understand what you're saying. Jared, did you add – Jared, did you put extra – Butter on and when your I popcorn, say innocent, or? I didn't mean that negatively, by the way. It's more of a, you're in a favorable light is what I meant. I didn't mean that. Uh, I yeah. hope that didn't come across the wrong way. No, you guys are doing a great job. All right, well, let's but, yeah. let's let's stick with the lies then. And uh, I, can, I actually, went, can I actually tell you I my thought I was thing? an advocate here. Not I, she <laughs> I don't think she's very smart. You know, it's interesting. They talk about how experienced and knowledgeable she is. First of all, you know, the, like the, the leading thing with the Benghazi issue to me is – Nobody could make a decision. 
there's always the, you know, wanting more information. She's very cautious. I've never seen her in a mode where she had to make a decision. I don't, I, I think that's a, you know, I can understand why everybody would hope that would be true. She certainly tries to project that. I've never seen any evidence of that. I've never seen her be successful at anything. Um, I would say the best that she, her best stint in public office was her term in the Senate, where by all accounts, she was a good first-term senator. And it's, it's tough there because first-term senators, just the way the, sentence, the Senate is structured, it's hard for them to have much of an impact. So I have no criticism about her work in the Senate. It's hard to say that she was an effective Secretary of State. Of course, you could say the guy she was working for is more responsible for policy and she was more the executor. Okay. But it didn't seem like she added anything of value there. So here's my deal. I think she is an incredibly diligent, hardworking person. I think she's a very serious person. I think she cares deeply about what, you know, she's trying to do. Nobody is going to outwork her. I don't think she's very bright. So, like, she went to Yale Law School and was, you know, I don't think she was first in her class, but she was near the top of her class, and then failed the bar exam. You know, that, to me, classic indicator of extremely hardworking person who's not very bright. And I've seen nothing in her, you know, since then to change that view. I remember once talking to a guy, an older professor, and talking about students, and his kind of deal was PhDs are generally not the smartest students. They're just the ones with the highest capacity for drudgery. That's me. And that's kind of what I think about with her. She's got a high capacity for drudgery. I've never seen her with an insight. So, Jack, what would you make of, of the experience that she does have? So let's just say she's not a bright woman. Well, she's had a lot of experience now. As, as Can she utilize that? Well, sure. And obviously that's the hope. I mean, you know, she's conversant with foreign policy. Nobody's, you know, she's not wondering where, what Aleppo is. And right. I mean, and she's, I mean, and Trump, of course, is just seems to revel in his own ignorance. Um, she's certainly not ignorant. She's well-informed. Um, you would hope that she would apply good judgment. Um, it's just hard for me to see any evidence that she's got good judgment to apply. Well, I'll, I'll jump in here. So we're just going to have to read disagree on her not being intelligent because I disagree violently with that contention. I'm not I saying she's a moron. Who, I'm just saying she's yeah, a very like, average intelligence. I've, I've had friends, people who went through Stanford Law School in less time than they should have who've worked in her campaigns and said that she is whip smart. And you're right that even if not whip smart, the next best thing is preparedness. And even on her tenure as Secretary of State, I disagree that she was ineffective. I mean, I pulled some quotes last night. Lindsey Graham, who's not in her party, said she was, quote, one of the most effective Secretaries of State that I've known in my lifetime. And Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, said, if she were president right now and not Secretary of State, she and I would have fixed the budget by now. Like, she had tremendous respect of her opponents. Like, so I think that we've forgotten all this in the, the campaign era, but she was... I looking at the approval ratings and and the, her co-senators loved her when she was running things. She was popular in the Senate, no question. Tell me tell me what you would point to in terms of foreign policy achievements. Maybe it was the reset with Russia. Maybe it was the way she cleaned up the Middle East. I mean, what what would you point well, as to? You, as you yourself mentioned last time, I think that pointing the fact that there's trouble in the Middle East as a failure of anybody, any, any administration, is completely unfair, right? Because they've been at war since Yeah, Abraham. I would agree. That was, that, was, that was unduly snarky. I withdraw it. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think she's done a phenomenal job of, you know, improving our standing in the world. Like, you know, I don't want to get into, like, the Bush hate fest because people don't like to blame Bush for things. But, like, when he left office, our standing in Europe and in, in Far East and Japan, South Korea, was at an all-time low. 
And right now it's much, much improved. I think that she's done a great job strengthening ties to the NATO states and to Far East. Um, obviously, Russia has all kinds of issues, like it's about to collapse economically, and they're starting, you know, sort of proxy wars around themselves, and the reset too. But again, like I don't feel like looking at a civil war in Syria is an appropriate measure of her time as Secretary of State. She went to more countries than anyone in history, and in general, and like I personally, so we're probably going to disagree on this one. I like the Iran deal. I think that selling. Uh, the possibility of becoming the next South Korea to Iran and betting on a free market and an economy making the people of that country more willing to throw off their sort of um, religious-based uh, leadership is probably going to work. Um, I know some folks are, hate that deal because it, it opens the door that if it fails, they have more freedoms. I'm betting on freedom working. So, so I think that's an example that is a success, a success. And it's hard success, and we won't even know for 20 years uh, but she was there at the negotiating table working that kind of stuff. And, you know, you mentioned not making quick decisions. There's was a famous anecdote. Uh, the night that we killed bin Laden was the night of the famous White House correspondence dinner, the black tie, kind of like everyone has a good laugh thing. And she's in the set, sit room with the president and, like, the head joint chiefs. And someone said, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this tonight. It's already kind of a tough call to make in the first place. And if we're not at this gala, people will get suspicious. And Hillary stands up and says, I can't swear on your podcast, but says, F the dinner, we're getting bin Laden. And that's like a quote from the head of the CIA. And so, like, she can make decisions um, in the moment. Uh, although I would just say, like, it, it, well, they got bin Laden, right. The idea that that was a tough decision, I have a little trouble with, but whatever. And Let's say it failed, though. Like, like so let's play this so out. Nobody, no, would anybody really have criticized them for trying? Yes, absolutely. Oh, I, I don't think I'd so. Say, I'd say, oh, they sent they they sent our troops into harm's way. I, just, I don't think so. I don't have much. About a, you're talking about an eight man SEAL team, and everybody understands how that works. I just I don't have much faith in the polarized media to have uh, grace for people with whom they disagree. I agree, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. <clears throat> so, Robbie, with with Jack's. Um, Oh, I'm gonna. I think it was two minutes and three seconds. Uh, spiel on lies. <laughs> let, sure. me, let me ask you: Has has? Uh, I mean, just plain and simple, has Hillary Clinton demonstrated herself to be trustworthy? To me, yes, and that's why I defined it. So she's not forthcoming, but I feel she is trustworthy. I would trust her watching my kids. I would trust her with my car. I would trust her with my country. I would not trust Donald Trump to babysit my children. <laughs> like literally for three hours. Right. Um, so if, if, if she says, I want to accomplish X, I believe she will go and try to accomplish that thing. And th to me, like the definition of trust is like, will you try to do the things you say you'll try to do? And I believe that she will do that. I don't believe that Trump does that. He has a 30 year track record of going out of his way to break his word. Yeah. And if I like trustworthy is like, can I entrust a thing of value to you, my country, my kids, my car, whatever, I would trust her to be a custodian of things that have value like this country. And I think that she is clearly the only candidate for whom that is true of these two. Now, how would you, so, um, how do you, how do you process Benghazi? Uh, I, I think you've already addressed the email deal, but what about Benghazi? I would quote, uh, Colin Powell, who was a four star general and commander of the allied forces and our Republican secretary of state and say that it is, 
quote, Benghazi is a stupid witch hunt. And then Condi Rice replied in her email, I completely agree. I mean, it's a tragedy, no doubt about it. But there's a difference between a tragedy and a scandal. Um, and so, like, I mean, Colin Powell himself said it's the it's Secretary of State's fault, it's the Department of State's fault, it's the Embassy's fault, it's the Intelligence Committee's fault. Like, the, the fact that the thing happened, that's a tragedy and a failure of the overall intelligence infrastructure, which she's, of course, a part of as Sec State, but she's not, a, she's not the only person involved. And the whole cover-up thing, I mean, I noticed that it was the video when it first came out, but intelligence is hard. I have a friend who works as a national security guy, and he's like, look, you try and knowing what's going on in a mob in the middle of Libya, halfway across the world, for four hours after something happens. And they fix the record inside of 48 hours. So to me, it could have been better, sure, but like the, the fact that we're going to pick a president based on how we messaged our understanding of a thing that happened 10,000 miles away in a mob. I just don't think it's the, it's the, the seminal issue. And all these investigations have not found, again, like a smoking gun. It's just more, you know, just piling on. Well, I would, I would agree with that, by the way. I, I mean, she clearly lied about it, but, but that's the kind of thing that you might feel like you need to lie about. In other words, if you're concerned that, I think I know what happened here, but it could be really inflammatory to say so. And as Secretary of State, i got to be very careful of that. I'm going to put out a message that is less inflammatory or that serves other purposes. I mean, I'm not trying to say it was a good idea that she lied. I'm just saying it could be understandable that in certain circumstances she would not say what she knew. You know, what, right. what, what and she you're knew talking to. about the attribution of, like, we thought this is a mob inside yes. of by the yeah. video. Yeah. I, I think they just got it. I really think they got it wrong. I, and, and it's not a compliment to say you guys messed up your intelligence right i'm not like giving her some kind of kudos no, but, but, but you're right but. intelligence is tough i mean well it's it's kind of like the wmd thing you know bush lied it's like actually no i mean everybody everybody was wrong yeah yeah and that's also why i think that when trump campaigns on she voted for iraq it's like do you recall what the intelligence she was given as a senator was on iraq yeah, the I senators should have voted yes right? right given what they were told they were given terrible intel and some people lied. They're probably the folks we were asking questions to, right? They were not our own people, but like our sources clearly lied to us. Um, and then that got hyped up, and that's a whole different discussion. Well, but. I, th I think the other thing that happens with that stuff, though, is the problem is that if you're the intel guy, you don't want to underestimate. You're better overestimating, and then things weren't as bad as you thought, than you were underestimating, and then there was a disaster. So... You know, that's, I think, a big part of the WMD thing. And I, I, like I said, I've got some experience with that whole... Yeah, let's not really get the Iraq war. <laughs> yeah, know. no, right. I mean, I know I'm not talking about Iraq, but just, again, with the way that classified information works and, and what you know and what you don't and what the motives are of the people who are sharing information. And that's not to impute bad motives. It just says yeah. their incentive is exaggerate rather than underestimate. Yeah. So, anyway. How do you guys think that... Uh how do you think that her her husband, as a former president serving two terms, will play out in the end result of this campaign? You know, I mean, it, does it have any relevance at all? I don't think he matters. I yeah. think that he only matters as a surrogate to go speak at, you know, college campuses and get the vote out. But I think that this is really about Hillary and Trump. Jack. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, does it matter 1%? Does it matter 3%? If it does, that might be enough to swing things, you know. I mean, so there are certainly people who love Bill Clinton and for whom, you know, uh, him him out there speaking as a surrogate is important. It's, 
I, I tend to agree. I don't think it's a, certainly it doesn't seem like a driving issue, either pro or con. All right. Well, what I want to do is kind of give you guys uh, a chance to look through your notes because I don't want you to come away from this saying, oh, I wish I could have gotten to such and such. Um, are there any questions that I told you guys I would get to that I haven't? So kind of kind of a here's here's your last chance. Anything that you want to say or ask or challenge or anything? Jack, you get first. <laughs> um, hey, actually, let me say something that kind of comforts me about Hillary Clinton is that the Clintons don't believe in anything. They'll they'll say or do anything for their own advantage, and all they want to be is successful. And that was actually why Bill Clinton, like despicable person though I think he is personally, was a decent president. I mean, he was fortunate to be president during a time when there wasn't a, like international, that was a fairly safe time. And uh, the next president is not going to have that luxury. But, um, you know, I, I just think she wants to be successful. I mean, w- which you could say means that she might be inclined to be pragmatic. And I hope so. Can I, can I rebut that before I give for kind sure, of my, my sure. final thing? So, so I've heard this before, this like Hillary doesn't stand for anything. And I tell you, man, like I just don't agree. And look at the history, right? So here's someone who quits the partner track at her law, at her, at her career to go work for a civil rights nonprofit. Here's someone that, you know, like look at Hillary Care in the 90s, right? It didn't work out. She steps up and says, I'm going to step in front of this buzzsaw of trying to get every person in the country health care. And she got pummeled for it. If you're willing to go up there and take those punches to get, she's not going to get rich off of health health insurance for kids or poor families. Like she's doing that because she believes in something. The same reason she got children's health care initiative passed and got disability access to schools. Like she does believe in helping those less fortunate than herself. And she's put herself directly in harm's way time and time again to achieve that. So the idea she doesn't care about anything, I just, I just don't agree with that. Well, let me just say real quick, I just looked up uh, Hillary Clinton flip-flops, and it's like 22 recent Clinton flip-flops between the years 2006 and 2014. So that, I guess maybe that's where, where uh, Jack's getting his, his, uh, his ideas from, the fact that she doesn't really stand for anything. It's all about political expediency. I don't you know. you got to dig into those. Like, I mean, her policy on paid family leave, on foreign policy, taxation, well, college, let's, let's whatever. Let's talk about has, the, how about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Sure. Yeah, that's when she's changed. And yeah. I, because the overwhelming majority of her party said, we disagree with you, and she listened to her constituents. And and the, the, in other words, she's got her finger to the wind, and she's going to go whichever way it blows. That's my point. And, uh, you know, again, I, I understand your point, too. That, and, and, and I would say that, that uh, I, would, I would stand corrected that, to say that, to argue that she doesn't believe in anything is a bit of an overstatement. But I think in terms of the important things that a president actually does, I would... I would actually think that Mike could defend my remark pretty well. And Jack, I'm certainly not trying to trap you here. In the last 30 years, who were some presidents that did not do that? Like they, they did not give a rip about what public opinion well, was. First saying? of all, I'm not saying don't give a rip. I yeah. mean, because there's a balance. You've got to have principles, but you got to be wise about how you <clears throat> apply them. Yeah. Like, you know, your comment about Lincoln's greatness, um, uh, Robbie, was, I, I mean, I agree with that. And, and Lincoln was the master of that of being a very principled person whose realm was politics, which meant that he had to listen and which meant that he had to compromise, sometimes with people that he despised. Um, so I don't think it's a matter of, because, because the person who doesn't listen is just stubborn. And you better hope you're never wrong. And, and, and who can live to that standard, you know? 
But even then, like I think her, you ask folks who work with her, number one trait of Hillary Clinton is she's a listener. That's why her senator cohort who are across the line or across the aisle liked her. I mean, contrast that to Donald Trump, who doesn't even. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's where like the 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 relevance of Trump versus Clinton comes in. Like, I mean, this woman is a listener, and this man listens to all himself and only himself, right? I'd agree with uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> he's even said like, "I don't have experts; I am my own advisor," which yeah, is just like right. terrifying to me. A on... supreme egotist, no question. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Should I do my thing now, or Jack? Want to go somewhere? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so so I heard the Trump podcast, and I'm guessing this comes up a lot whenever you guys breach politics. And you said, uh, one of you guys said, like, how do I even know what to believe? The media is all biased in one way or the other. And I understand that point of view. I mean, not, not everyone can do what I do and read 50 things every single day and sort of sort out the truth from the, from the garbage. But with this election, the thing that I find most compelling more than anything is the fact that for the first time in basically the, a century, you have a substantial portion of one party elected officials saying vote for that person right you have four four sitting congress people two sitting senators of the republican party saying you should not support our own guy donald trump you've got reagan's deputy security uh national security guy bush's secretary of treasury former world bank president and and last week the dallas morning news which for 76 years has endorsed republicans consecutively said there is quote only one serious candidate on the ballot this November. And they don't like her. They've hammered her in the past. But they say, look, if you view it as a two-person choice, I know that Jack doesn't view it that way, there is only one candidate here that works. So I trust to actually sit in that building and not bring the whole house of cards down. And that's Hillary Clinton. And I think she'll actually do a good job. Um, but even if you're just trying to keep the republic from falling upon itself or trying to keep Europe from going to war, and that's your bare minimum standard, there's even then only one person who I think is on the ballot who we should vote for this November. So I, I, I do want to follow that up. Would it was she your front runner out of all the Democrats? Like I, I definitely I get your point that she's she's a more ideal candidate than Trump. But would you say she is an ideal candidate just in general? Well, I don't think there's any ideal candidate this year. If I were to build my candidate in a lab this year, it'd be some combination of Bernie, Hillary, and Kasich, frankly. Gotcha. Um, there are certain things Bernie did that I like um, that are kind of out there, like sort of like hardcore economist ideas on policy. Um, I think that she would still have been my choice for foreign affairs. And like the more we watch Russia try to play in our election and, and try to mess up Eastern Europe, and just last week, it was announced that the Russian Reserve Fund, the fund they use to pay their bills when the oil money doesn't come in as expected, is going to run out in the next six months. So I actually believe that the next president will have to be a foreign policy president. And we'll have to improve at home, too. But like in general, the growth is slow and steady, and it's going to be more or less on the path that it's already on, I think. I don't think either candidate will change that very much. Um, so... You know, as far as if I was building my laboratory candidate, like she would have been my foreign policy person. And to me, that's the that's the seminal challenge in the next four years, most likely. Yeah. So are you optimistic, Robbie? That she'll win? Yeah. A week ago, I was feeling a lot better. I, I, I am. I am because of two things. I think that right now there are a lot of undecideds. And my suspicion is that a lot of those undecideds are people who are somewhat like me, who may have a bit of conservative bend, a bit of progressive bend. And they might say, you know, in any normal year, I would vote conservative. I'd vote for the person the Dallas Morning News would, would recommend. But I know that I can't vote for Trump. I have a moral obligation to do so to keep this country from falling upon itself. 
but I can't really com- say out loud that I'm voting for Hillary yet. So my hope, my prayer, frankly, is that the late-breaking voters will break overwhelmingly for her, for the candidate of sanity. And um, I also believe, like, to get into the sort of, like, blocking and tackling that her ground game will be better and stuff like that. But my worry is that a lot of liberals think it's so impossible that Trump could win because he strikes them as so absurd that they might not show up to vote. And so as long as um, Hillary gets her voters out there, I think she wins. I don't know who she will or who Trump will get to vote for him that did vote for Obama. So as long as the Obama coalition votes for Hillary, she'll win. But um, and to be honest, I don't want her just to win. I want him to crush him because I don't want to see this ugly, racist, isolationist, or divisive rhetoric come by anytime soon. So I want him to lose handily so that we can have real conservatives with real ideas come back. Jack, you have any predictions at this point? I really don't. In the game? I really don't. I oh. mean, you know, part of it is like both of the. I mean, you know, Robbie, I just like I, I think she's a very weak campaigner. And she has a penchant for shooting herself in the foot. Um, you know, Trump is just, you know, who knows what idiotic thing he'll say tomorrow. And, and you know, that's that's kind of her hope is that is that every time somebody starts to, th- every time a thinking person starts to think like maybe he wouldn't be too bad, he proves that he really would be. So, yeah, there's no evidence to like, ever change. I, I just think, you know, it's like who's going to make the most mistakes in the next couple of months? Boy, they're. They're competing really heavily on that one. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's fair. I actually, wrote my notes like that. She's she, she's not a great campaigner, but I think she'll be a much better at governor governance than she was as a campaigner. And I just hope that Americans say, "All right, she wasn't the best showman." I mean, Trump is an elite showman. That is yep. objectively true, right? But we're not picking a reality show candidate or picking someone to sit in a boring meeting for twenty hours and grind through budget policy or knock out a treaty with Iran and. I can only imagine one candidate around the table doing that, and I hope that most Americans agree. Well, Jared, it has been my pleasure to serve with you as a fine American citizen because here's what's going to happen. The Pastor With No Answers listeners are going to go out, and they're going to change the course of history. And you heard Carrie and Jack on episode 40, and you have heard Robbie and Jack on this Clinton episode. So, Americans, you're going to make the call, and whatever call you make is going to change the course of history. So, God's that much is clear. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs>